You happened. All Danny. I didn't do anything. You brought this evil here. I now know your power, new girl. Let me show you mine. fans welcome to another episode of not a bomb podcast i'm your host troy and with me for the last episode in the year 2020 is of course mr brad anderson brad happy sunday to you happy sunday greetings and salutations yeah did you, you have a good did you have a good christmas <laughs> you know yes again it's weird but we had to kind of do parents and like shifts it was real weird but you know we made it work a lot of travel because of that because not everyone could come in one place so um, yeah, we were fortunate enough to be able to kind of see people from a distance. So, you know, counting our blessings still. Well, good. Yeah, this was this was weird for us too. It was the first time we did not go back to Indiana to do, you know, a week of just seeing all the family. So we stayed out on the East Coast in uh, Baltimore. I, I got to say, I, I enjoyed being here. We, we got a little bit of snow Christmas morning. It didn't stick, but uh, I, I it's a weird holiday. It was even more strange not traveling, but hey, everybody's safe, right? Safe and healthy. That's the important thing. Hopefully next year we're all back to normal. Yeah, I agree. And so we, we, we've got a, a special episode. Not only is it the last one of the year, so we're going out with a bang, but of course this week's movie um, was your pick, Brad, and we're talking about the bombs of 2020. And we've already done the home media releases that we wanted to highlight for this year. And my theatrical pick was Mulan. Your theatrical pick was something that also came from Marvel Studios. Uh, has a interesting history, but you you picked a comic book movie. W- which one was that, Brad? I picked the new, or is it the yeah the New Mutants? Boy, <laughs> I was doing the uh, production history on this one, and this one goes all the way back to 2017. So. Yeah, yeah. This this will got be, some legs on it. This will be fun to talk about just the the behind the scenes of the film. And look, we we couldn't have a comic book movie without getting our comic book expert on here. And so, of course, we got John to grace our presence. John, how you doing? Twenty twenty is almost wrapped up. Did you have a good hey, Christmas? Thank God. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was a blast. Had a had a lot of good loot. Uh, kids got a lot of good loot, and kids actually did their own christmas shopping with their own money this time and they actually hit home runs it was it was a good christmas you can tell john is a podcast professional because he did not speak until he was introduced that is a key <laughs> to podcasting so. that's funny well listen um if if we're gonna talk about 2020 we, we've had a couple of different questions and, and highlights and one of the things that we talked about at the last episode were our first time discoveries for this year and so I thought maybe, in, in full disclosure, I don't think Brad, you and I, and you as well, John, have seen all the films that have come out in 2020, either streaming, limited theatrical, et cetera. It, it's been a crazy year. And there's been so many, I don't know, sh- uh, just moments of, of movies being shuffled. Some are, some are coming out on demand. 
Others went limited theatrical release. Others just debuted straight on streaming. But I thought it'd be good to kind of take a step back and say, you know, last week we talked about the films that didn't come out this year, but we discovered and they were our favorites. So did you guys find any gems from this year that were actually released this year, be it streaming or uh, in the theaters? I'll, I'll start with yes. you, Brad. I mean, what, what, you got a couple that, uh, I do. that you fell in love with? I, kind of, I, have, I have three and I'll just kind of pseudo rank them just because I like to do that. So you like to put things in order. I do. I, you know, I'm very... I like things like that. Uh, so number three is The Invisible Man by directed by Lee Wanell. Is it H.G. Wells? Is that who is The Invisible Man novel? Uh, I think so. Okay. Be, I, don't know. I, just, say yes. I know it from the Universal Monster franchise. Yeah. Um, I really like the take on it. You know, originally it, it was a part of that dark universe. Um, the mummy kind of threw a wrench and all that. Uh, so I thought it was kind of fitting that we're, we're talking about a movie that was going to kind of be, you know, in this universe of, of films. And then I picked a movie that was going to be in the universe of films and neither are going to be in that universe. So um, <laughs> Invisible Man and, uh, and the New Mutants. So, yeah, uh, Elizabeth Moth is, Moss is great in that movie. I really dug it a lot. I think it was way better than it should have been. So, yeah. Did, did you see it, John? No, I missed that one. I, I actually just saw it last night. Oh, right. Really? Did you like it? I enjoyed it quite a bit. I I had been sitting on the 4K for a long time. And I thought, you know, when you read about everybody choosing their best of 2020, that film showed up on a lot of lists. And I, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was an interesting take on sort of an older story. And man, the, the, the shots in it and... Um, I would say the tension is very genuine. There, there aren't a lot of cheap thrills or jump scares in it. It's got a few, but some of the it's framing, about invisible the, man. <laughs> yeah, some of the framing and the setups in it are, are just fantastic. And it, it's was, a great film. I was reading about the production and the release of that movie. They moved it up two weeks, so it releases the last day of February. So it ends up grossing like hundred and forty-three million dollars. If they wait that two weeks like the COVID restriction stuff hits it huge and it probably makes 25% of that or maybe even less. Like that two weeks is huge for this. Yeah, it was, so. it was one of the last big hits of this year, yep. right before yep. COVID. It was yeah. a huge success. So John, do you, do you have a, how many, how many films did you pick out for this year? Um, that I liked, yeah. enjoyed. Uh, I, I got like four kind okay. of watch the old guard. Charlie's there on I enjoyed that thoroughly. I thought it was pretty good. Um, something new kind of twist on the uh, superhero stuff. Um, one that kind of caught me off guard, Project Power with uh, Jamie, Jamie Fox. Fox. <clears throat> yeah, it was um, it, it was very entertaining, very cool. Um, I enjoyed it. And of course, being partial to the to the motherland peninsula. Love peninsula. Oh, the uh, the semi sequel to Train to Busan. Correct. Yes. Um, oh, but, yes, yes. Uh, I haven't but, seen that one yet because I've heard it's not as good as train it isn't is it? It okay is, but it's really good okay it is it is um but to basically sum up 2020 the by far the most um awesome cinematic experience um that i enjoyed so heavily this year mandalorian wow that, that, that's not <laughs> that's not a, that's not a t that's not a movie but yes it is yes it I, is i agree <laughs> i agree that the mandalorian has been the best thing on television or 
movie probably. Well, yeah, so. if, if you're t- so if we're talking, let's be honest, the things that have blown me the way have not been the movies this year. Yes. I, I can say there are two series that I absolutely adore, fell in love with. Mandalorian takes the top of Mandalorian season two. Anything that came out in 2020, that just puts it all to shame. Yes. The other thing that for me was close behind it is The Boys season two. Absolutely love that. It was so good. I can't wait to see what they do for season three, but it's so crazy that most of the things that have really wowed me have just been either these mini series or streaming series. Uh, John, you recommended Sweet Home that I think is a yeah. Korean uh, 10 episode series on Netflix. Watch the first yep. episode this evening and and it's got me hooked. It's yeah. fantastic. It's great. Um, great. I'll, I'll share one of my picks before we round Robin again. The, I'm not going to say a lot about it, but I would say it was one of the films I did get to go see in the theater when theater started opening back up again. I'm not going to talk a lot about it because we are going to review this one at some point in February, probably, but it's Love and Monsters. And it's this little film that came out. And the best way I can describe it is it's Zombieland. It, it has that same feel. It's sort of an action comedy horror hybrid. So it's, it's zombie land, but it's just with monsters. And that's all I'm going to say about it. The 4K and the Blu-ray come out at the beginning of January. So that's going to give plenty of time for people to catch it. I think you can rent it on mm-hmm. streaming. Um, it was available to stream the day that it got released in the theaters. But out of all my theatrical going experiences, which were limited this year, that was my favorite one. And so I can't, I can't wait to talk about that one. So it, it did bomb. But uh, that, hey, gives us an excuse to go ahead and talk about it in 2021. So I'm going to save all my comments for that episode. So Brad, you had three. What's what's number two? Uh, my number two is uh, Mank. Um, anything has to do with Citizen Kane, I'm going to be all about. This one happened to be directed by uh, David Fincher. Um, interesting note, this was also, this is originally written by his father, Jack, uh, back in the early 90s which I found pretty interesting. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. So Herman J. Mankiewicz uh, and his development of the screenplay of Citizen Kane is kind of what that movie's about. Shot in Sorry. black and white, right? Yep. And it stars Gary Oldman. If you have the capability of watching uh, this movie on Netflix in 4K, the black and white is just amazing. I love black and white in 4K. I don't know what it is. It's just the contrast and the HDR, all that stuff. It's just, it's amazing. So I love... I love watching black and white films in 4K, which sounds weird, but just the way they look is amazing. Yeah, that, that's that's one on the list I want to catch. Just never got around to it yet. I, I found out my list of films from 2020. I don't know how you guys were. I found out that I, I just watched way more films that were older, whereas I watched new TV series this year. But but the new films, I just I didn't rush out and see, be it streaming or whatever. John, do you have another pick for 2020? Uh, good or bad? Well, we're still in the good. We'll get to the bad here in a minute. Okay. Yeah. um, So one of the other ones that I liked uh, thoroughly was uh, Extraction with uh, Chris Hemsworth. I'm so glad you picked that. That that's my number two. Yeah. It was it was a really it it was a really well done story. I like the cinematography, the car chase scene. The car chase scene is one of the best (sighs) twelve minutes I've ever seen in an entire film. Right. It's just totally insane. And then going back and watching the making of and seeing how they shot that entire scene. Oh, yeah. Sam Hargrave, the director, strapped on the hood of a car, going down the alleyway and then trading cameras off for that one continuous shot. That film is the best action film I've seen in a while. 
it, it, like you said, Brad, that, that 12 or is it 12 or 15 minutes? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That, that section of that continuous shot and how they filmed it and what they did with it was just so phenomenal. I haven't seen an action sequence that has no. been that good probably in the last five years. Yeah. Did the Chris Russo Hems- brothers write that movie? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Chris, okay. Chris Hemsworth is, is amazing in it. Yep. And wow. It, it's, it's one of the few films and I don't know about you, John, but as soon as I watched it the first time, I went back and watched it just, I think the same day. I watched it twice in a day. Yeah, I watched it twice. And then, of course, had to go dig around for the, the making of because, again, it was just just watching that car sequence. I, I don't know what it is. It was just something just so incredibly and so unique about it that I had to know how they shot it because I'm like, you know, my wife's pestering me. I'm trying to watch it. She's like, did they change it? Did they cut it? I'm like, no, shut Shush. <laughs> But then I'm, I'm sitting there trying to piece it all together and trying to figure it out. And I'm like, and then when I saw how they did it, I was like, holy cow, that was amazing. Yeah, they, they didn't cheat it. You know, a lot of no, those, those they movies, didn't. they cheat the the one take. This one was seriously one take. Yeah. And, and there was a couple clips. I was like, oh, yeah, OK, this is where they cut it. But then that's the part where, like you said, that you see them do the handoff of the camera. I'm like, OK, OK, mad props. Yeah, I, it's one of the few films that I, I really felt like I was holding my breath through different sequences of the film. Yeah, It's so good. It's so it well is. done. It is. All right, Brad, what's your number one? Uh, my number one is a Spike Lee joint. It is Defy Bloods. Ah, that, that's um, another one I wanted uh, to watch so bad. Yeah, I think Spike Lee is one of our under most underappreciated film directors of all time. Does not have an Academy Award. Needs an Academy Award. I don't know how the Academy Awards are going to work this year, but I'm assuming he gets nominated for this movie. Um, it's it's amazing. It's a like a Vietnam movie, but it's like not. It's it's great. It's great. I I loved every second of it. Hey, there's a lot of seconds of this movie. I think it's like two forty, so it's long, but it's it's worth every second. Yeah, and that that's the reason why I haven't sat down because it's one of those films I did not want to split up, and just trying yeah. to find three hours uh, yeah. is is tough. So, am John, I? I'm not on an island about Spike Lee. Am I like you guys are? Oh, love it. fans okay love it yeah he, he, well he's put out some good really great stuff and there's stuff i'm like eh, not a fan of but like, he he is a he is he is one of those visionary directors that uh as you said he, he doesn't get a lot of credit where he deserves to have that credit like even if you like take like something that's like the inside man like inside man is an amazing movie it's just like fun and like not a typical spike lee movie but yep. it's super fun and like I, I don't know i just think you know you always are knowing that you're like seeing a spike lee movie but they aren't all the same. So I really yeah. dig it. So he's versatile. Yeah, I, I would even say the ones where he's not in his top form, I still enjoy for the most part. Even his pedestrian films are a little bit above average. So that, that's just how good of a director he is, in yeah. my opinion. So you got you got one more, John? I think I kind of like shot the whole thing. Yeah. Pro- again, Project Power Peninsula. Okay. Of good, good, yeah. Well, the last one, uh, so this is my pick for the film that was a gut punch. And it came out of nowhere for me. It's a documentary. It was on Netflix. I had heard about it, and the whole premise sounded interesting to me. But it was called Dick Johnson is Dead. And the whole premise of it is that there's a documentary filmmaker, and she's been making documentaries for, for 30 years. She finds out that her father is starting early stages of dementia and he's a a psychiatrist who lives in Oregon. And so the documentary 
most of it is about him retiring and moving him from his home on the West Coast into New York. But as they're going through this, and, and the other component about it is her mother recently passed away and she passed away through dementia. So, you know, right before she died, they kind of lost her. And it it's, <laughs> man, just thinking about this movie gets to me. But in, in order to kind of deal with that, the, the whole premise is she gets her father to agree that they're going to stage different scenes of his death, accidental death. So he'll be walking down a New York street and an air conditioner is going to fall out a window and hit him in the head. And they're, they're going to film this whole sequence. And then as they're talking about, you know, death and what heaven would be like, et cetera. And he, he tells her what his image is. She goes, okay, well, let's go film that. So it's, it's a crazy documentary. And the premise, while it sounds kind of silly where it's okay, your, your father is in early stages of dementia. So to deal with it, we go, well, let's just come up with just funny original ways that, you could accidentally die and we're going to film them with her film crew ends up becoming this whole very personal journey on how their family dealt with their mother's death, what death is in general, what heaven's like. And, and I got to tell you, this, this is probably the most powerful movie I saw all year in its original. It's an amazing documentary. It's on Netflix. Um, I, <laughs> grab some Kleenex because it's going to get to you, especially if you're, if you have any kind of connection to your parents, but I, you know, I got to tell you for something that sounds so morbid, it's got some great moments of clarity and insight and some comedy to it, but it, it's the movie that moved me the most this year. And it was one that just came out of nowhere for me. So it's on Netflix. Dick Johnson is dead. If you sit down and watch it, just be ready for it. I do want to shout out one other movie. Um, I just watched it the other day. It's called The Last Blockbuster. Um, this is a total nostalgia pick. It's about the Bend, Oregon um, blockbuster that happens to be the last oh, blockbuster yeah. of the entire world. You know, it, it just has a bunch of people talking about, hey, remember when we used to go and rent movies and all this stuff? And uh, hey, talking about when Blockbuster drove all the mom and pop stores out. Yeah, does yeah it, they, I mean, they touch that? on they touch on that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. Um, you know, with the revenue sharing and stuff, or revenue splitting or something like that, yeah. about how they could you know get movies and split the revenue back from the rental back to the with the studios and stuff, and basically taking mom and pop shops out of business. But yeah, and then you know, I always heard the story about how Netflix had a chance to buy or Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix, and they passed. Well, this, they kind of talk about that story and. and clear some things up but you know it's a total nostalgia pick because i lived two minutes from a blockbuster i could walk there and usually after school on fridays we did and we would just get a bunch of crap and and watch it all weekend so it brought me back yeah well i <laughs> that documentary is on my list too i, I have a love hate for blockbuster because i don't like what they did to the mom and pop stores but at the same time, there's no denying any type of documentary about the video store experience, which is something that I grew up in. I know you did too, John, Brad yeah. as well. The, the whole community experience of just going with your friends and spending, what, 30 minutes to an hour just going through the VHS covers or DVD covers and picking a movie out was was half the fun yeah. outside of just watching the film. So I that's on my radar. That's when I... I thought I was going to watch on break, but didn't get to it. Yeah. It's like 90 minutes long. So it's pretty, you know, it, they have like Kevin Smith and a bunch of people just. 
talking yeah, there, about. There was another stuff. documentary, I think, on Amazon Prime about a mall. Uh, yes, I watched that too. Was um, that good? It was okay. It was not as good. Um, <laughs> okay. The janitor, the, there's a janitor that they follow most of the time. And, and he is like a guy you would always want to work for you because he's super enthusiastic all the time, even though like he's knows like this, this mall is basically getting ready to close. So um, it's pretty depressing. So huh. well, the only, the only honorable mention I have uh, would fall into the horror category. And it came out, I think in October it was a bit of a surprise for me and it's freaky. That's the Vince Vaughn film. So the body swapping, I'm a big sucker for anything that's horror comedy and this one delivered. <clears throat> and if Vince Vaughn doesn't get nominated for Academy Award for doing a body swap film and playing a uh, a teenage guy, I don't know. He was fantastic in it. it. It gave me new respect for Vince Vaughn. He's not getting nominated. Are you sure? Yes. I, I, <laughs> I, will, I will bet you a thousand dollars right here. He will not get nominated. <laughs> Well, then I don't agree with that. But anyways, let's talk about the worst of 2020. Do you guys have any films that you just wish you got those two hours back? I've, I've got two. No, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm curious, uh, Brad, what, what, what did you see this year that was just terrible? Yeah, um, I, I am going with the horror movie because I, I usually think that if you're really miss the mark on a horror movie, it can be really bad. And what I'm talking about is Fantasy Island. Oh, that thing is, looked terrible. It was awful. Awful, awful, awful. Kind of the plot is somewhat like New Mutant Sister a little bit. It's about like nightmares and stuff, but no, it, it's, it's terrible. That's a Bloomhouse production. Right? It is, yes, and that's kind of uh, one of the reasons why I watched it because I was yeah. like, oh, you know, I, I I dig most of their stuff. This was one of their biggest misses for me, but it made I think it made a lot of money. Like I it think did. It really, Ugh. unfortunately, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, John, what about you? Well, he, he stole one of mine. Fantasy Island was just awful. Uh, another um, one, which is not the Mandalorian, which was awesome. The Grudge. Oh, that came so, out. Oh my gosh! Right at the beginning of the year, right? Yeah, right at the beginning of the year. I was super excited to kind of see the, the you know the latest twist on the on the grudge story. And God Almighty, that bad, huh? It and did bad. you go see that in the theaters? Right? Yeah. Oof. Yeah, it was bad. That point where, where my daughter, who is now a horror aficionado, uh, was looking forward to going to it. Uh, she punched me in the arm. Wow! So it was that bad. The movie made five times its budget too. It made fifty oh. million dollars, so oh, we might be serious. Yeah. Oh, oh my god, it, it was bad. Well, <laughs> my <laughs> movies that I did not like are towards the end of the year. The first one, see, I was kind of excited. I, I walked into this one going, I know it's going to be bad, but it's it's a monster movie, and it's monsters eating people, so you can't mess that up, right? And plus, it's it's directed by um, somebody who makes not great films, but I always find something in his films that I like. And we've actually talked about one of his films on the podcast, Event Horizon. But I went to go see Paul W.S. Anderson's Monster Hunter with Tony Jaw, Ron Perlman, and uh, I always get her name wrong, Mila Jovovich. Jovovich yeah. yeah, so it's Mila Jovovich. Mila, um, holy cow, that thing was. Excru- it, it was so boring to get through and and how how do you have a bunch of monsters who are running around this world 
eating people, how do you make that boring? But they managed to do that. And and I got to tell you, Troy, you're going to tell me a video game movie is not very good. It's horrible. I don't believe it. It is. And Ron Perlman, he has this, I don't know. He Face? Looks, <laughs> he, he has this makeup going on where he looks like a cracked out version of the line from The Wizard of Oz. Oh my God. But he has this look on his face through the whole film. Like he just woke up after like a drug and alcohol binge and he doesn't know where he's at. And he's trying to deliver lines. And I don't even think he understands what he filmed. He just looks whacked out of it. And I, I would believe that um, monsters exist more than I believe that Mila is an army ranger. She she is, no, I, I don't get it. But that I got to tell you, that was a complete and utter snooze fest. It, it was horrible. Just And Tony Jaa, let's just, come on. Tony Jaa can kick people in the face, but this guy, he... <laughs> paint drawing has more acting ability than Tony Jaw at this point. <laughs> Horrible film. <laughs> All right, Troy, go ahead and say it. What's your second one? Go ahead and say it. Go ahead. What's your second one, Brad? I don't have one. I don't have, you don't one. have one. No. John, do you have a second? Mulan. <laughs> Live action Mulan. Wow. I just, really? I just, I just could not. I just. Uh, Is it because girls were fighting? Is that what you hated no, about it. it it was <laughs> just you know i guess no. watching a live action movie is like dude if you can't tell that she's a lady you, you really need some glasses um but no <laughs> it was one of those i had to watch because the wife wanted to watch it you know we just you know so i watched it and i'm like oh my gosh i mean i i actually enjoyed the animated movie 10 times more than the live action um now correct me if i'm wrong you had not seen the animated film until this year correct that is correct and you did like the animated one though i did like the animated one okay good well hey, hey the cool thing about having us together on a podcast is having diverse opinions and ideas some of us are right some of us are wrong obviously about milan which you not, are whatever <laughs> <laughs> all right well so number two the worst movies of this year just happened to catch with my good buddy, John over the weekend. And it is none other than Patty Jenkins, wonder woman, 1984. That thing is terrible. It's bloated. It, the story is nonsensical. It's just stupid. There's nothing I, just memorable about any of the action scenes. And I keep reading all these reviews and everybody kind of says, well, yeah, this whole wishing storyline, it didn't, you know, it wasn't all that great and blah, 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 blah. But the chemistry between Gal Gadot and Chris Pine is so good and people are liking what Kristen Wiig did. I, I compare Wonder Woman 1984, and I've said this a couple of times, if you were to go back and take Raiders of the Lost Ark and say, all right, all of the scenes with Professor Jones doing the lectures and running around the Smithsonian or whatever he's doing, if you made a complete film of that and took out all of the exciting stuff of Raiders he's a of the doctor. Lost Ark. He didn't get his doctorate for, for nothing. Okay, Jordan. he's a doctor, Dr. Dr. Jones. Jones. So if you take all those sequences of him just being in the museum and doing like doctor professor stuff and took all the exciting stuff out, that's exactly what you would have with Wonder Woman 1984, which I don't even know why you call it Wonder Woman when Wonder Woman is only doing Wonder Woman things for like 30 minutes of a two and a half hour film. It, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. And I know I may be in the minority on this one. I don't think I am. But I, and I just heard today that they're getting back together to do a third one. DC and Warner Brothers uh, is fast tracking Wonder Woman 3. Same director, Patty Jenkins, is going to direct and write. And 
hey, I, I like the first one. I don't think it was groundbreaking. I still enjoyed it. The second one was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Does it have third act problems like the first one? It has a first act, second oh, act, third act <laughs> problem. Gosh. It really okay. does. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it, I, I don't know. I, when it, when it starts and you get this small sequence and it's cheesy, but I kind of like it. And as soon as you get done with that, then it's, it's really, <laughs> it, it's like watching one of those Barbie cartoons, like Barbie Smithsonian princess goes and solves a mystery and then happens to do some Wonder Woman stuff. But even the Wonder Woman stuff, I, I, it's so unexciting. It, the action choreography and the staging is, is not good. And the CGI, it's horrible. And Kristen Wiig is, is okay. Cheetah. Jesus. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> I'm trying to tell everybody, do not see this film. Please don't. It's so easy to see it. I know it's easy to see it. And I, the problem, can, can we talk about 2020 in general? Yeah, Just sure. Films. Yes. Tell yeah. me what the problem with 2020 yeah. is, Troy. Like <laughs> the COVID. Okay. I'm starting to get a little irritated that some of the films with these smaller budgets of 20 and 30 million, and I know this is not just this year, but I think it becomes more apparent when you talk movies on a podcast that these 150, 200 million dollar budgets, they're really trying to please everybody. And they're picking, you know, directors, screenwriters, and everything that can go across you know, all, all different types of genres. And, and I know it's going to be a little bit vanilla because you're putting that much money into a film. You have to please the masses. Right. But John, you, you brought up Mandalorian season two specifically. And here's something that received a big budget and not only did it please the fans, but artistically and storytelling, it was fantastic. And I think there was a lot of quality that went into the crafting of it. But I am totally amazed that all of the big budget films that came out this year, Tenet's another one that was supposed to bring everybody out back in the theaters. I, I didn't like Tenet. I, I felt like Tenet was way too, it was, it was Nolan's misfire. But I can't believe that the studios are putting this much money into this stuff, $150, $200 million productions and putting it out there. Yeah, I think, you know, you and I talked about it. I think that's the key. It's kind of what is is amazing and surprising me. Just just what's coming out of Korea, cinema cinema wise, television series wise. It's all and it, it kind of circles back to Mandalorian. Uh, a good friend of mine, I think he said it best. You know, each episode looks like it could have been its own like movie. The quality, the story, and I think um, this year specifically, the mad rush to get you know that that cash that filthy lucre really you know really hobbled a lot of things that had a lot of potential wonder woman 1984 i did not like it <clears throat> as much as i wanted to um but i did not hate it as much as you do uh, and that's another one that's a perfect example of completely wasted opportunity it, it is I, I mean and i'm i'm sitting there thinking of the studios that didn't release their stuff this year did they know it was good and they know it's going to do well in the theaters and the stuff that they did release in the theaters this year? Did they kind of go, hey, in normal times, we don't think this is this is going to draw the crowds in? I, I really think Wonder Woman 84, if it had played in any other normal in theater going environment, minus COVID, the second and third week, it'd, it'd have a huge drop off because it's just not a good film. Well, we'll see because I read before, you know, today we, we started. Um, we're looking at a news story where Wonder Woman 1984, the headline read, 
Wonder Woman 1984 biggest box office opening during pandemic. So let's, really, yeah. Wow. Let's, <laughs> let, let's see what happens in a couple weeks. Yeah. Anyone see Soul yet? Anyone? No, that, that I thought I was going to catch no. that one um, on Christmas, and we ended up doing other stuff. So no, that's another one I is on my list. I'm I'm real curious to see. I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. That's I, I've heard nothing but positive from a lot of friends. Yeah. It's and that's deep. the stuff that I wish had played in the theater and Wonder Woman stayed on streaming, maybe in <laughs> hindsight. But I don't know. I, I know every year you're looking at the big box office budget and you go, look, it's not going to push the boundaries because it's got to please all given the money that they're putting into it. But you know what? Given the film industry and everything that's going on, I'm kind of hoping that the studios shy away from these large studio projects and are putting money into some of the smaller films and giving these filmmakers a little bit um, of a chance to have vision and better stories. I mean, you talked about the invisible man, that was a pretty low budget and it was, it was a great, it was, it was a great film. And I, I really hope we see more of that in the coming years. So I, I think Spielberg and Luke, all of them had said a few years ago that the, the inflated box office budgets at some point, the, the current economics in the studio couldn't handle that. And yeah, it would it just take accelerated this year. Yeah. It would yeah. take an event to basically say you're going to see studios bankrupt, et cetera. And, and you're seeing that because MGM right now is trying to sell off its entire catalog. James so, Bond. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's enough of 2020 uh, in review and my Wonder mm. Woman ranting. Um, sorry, we have one folks. more 2020 movie. We have one more 2020 movie. It was your pick, Brad. We're going to talk about the new mutants. Now, I full disclosure know nothing about this comic these characters i've been reading a little bit of the new series that marvel's been doing but it's my understanding the that new new mutants the new new mutants okay. it's entirely different from the run uh, that they had that the source material for this film came from so before we even get into the box office and and its story of how it came to be john we brought you on to be the comic book expert and for for those who haven't heard of John's collection before, I mean, th this guy knows everything and he has everything. <laughs> in my oh, opinion. No. But um, what, what is the new mutants exactly um, from a Marvel perspective? So from a Marvel comic book um, perspective, new mutants are those within the Marvel universe who have mutant abilities, but they're not quite, <clears throat> excuse me they're not quite ready to debut on the, on the on the stage to fight the evildoers these are recruits um kind of sought out by charles xavier um they have a, like another area that they they train to try and develop their abilities um and as they of course grow and develop uh, their mutant powers and stuff you see them kind of helping out with the x-men and then from there kind of spawns off on different a lot of different um, different titles. Uh, Chris Claremont, Bob McCloud, um, kind of originated with the mu New Mutants. And uh, Chris Claremont, uh, anyone who's kind of versed in, in, in comic book history, Chris, Chris Claremont is, is one of those writers that he had a lot of hits. He had some misses, but he was always one to come up with some grandiose storylines. Um, the Demon Bear Saga, Dark Phoenix, um, the days of future past um which you know 
great stories, great comics. How, how they how they screwed those movies up so bad, I, I will never know. And the, um, these are all stories that 20th Century Fox with the X-Men franchise have already done, right? Yep. yep. Okay. Um, and a side note, Chris Claremont actually appeared in those films. So I don't know. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, he was like a congressman or senator or something like that. But yeah, the, the, so the New Mutants um, actually start with five characters. Um, Sam Guthrie, Cannonball, uh, Costa, uh, Suns, Sunspot. Yeah. Rain, who uh, also goes to the name of... Um, Wolfsbane, Mirage is actually one of the characters. Um, uh, what's her name? Moonstar, and the character that we're gonna, we're not we're not going to see or talk about in the New Mutants, but actually started in the comics. Her name was, uh, gosh, what was her name? Karma, nineteen-year-old uh, Vietnamese. She was actually the original leader, um, but it, it's just like a ragtag bunch of kids again, developing or, or finding out that they have new powers and 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 just trying to get them to work as a team or understand how to better utilize or, or control their powers. If that makes sense. Okay. So in essence, new mutants are teenagers who come into their powers. They're supposed to graduate and go into the X-Men or the other mutant comic series that Marvel and everybody else had, right? Supposedly. Yeah. Supposedly. Okay. Yeah. Now, Brad, are you familiar with any of these comics or characters you're an X-Men fan though, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, they're all peripheral kind of characters though in in my mind. I mean, that's just that's just me. I mean, none of them are like big names. So, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, you'll if you read X-Men comics throughout the years, you'll see them pop up here and there, um but they're never they're never uh, what are, what do they call B-listers? Okay. Know? Yeah, that's they're, being they're, nice too. Yeah, they're like B-listers. B or um, that C, appear, yeah. yeah that, that show up once in a while. Okay. Well, this was supposedly going to be another part of the X-Men franchise. And it came out this no. year, but <laughs> it, it has a pretty crazy history. So, Brad, you usually talk about the, the finances and the reviews and everything else. Let's, let's talk about the financials real quick. Okay. So this thing was actually in production. I, I say... production in April of 2017. Um, okay. Approved budget of $80 million. Well, about $60 million. Um, they had to spend another 20 or so for, to, you know, keep it alive and edit and all this stuff for another three years. So, but um, sixty million for an X Men franchise, I don't think is a huge number, correct? No, no, and I think you can see that this one is a little bit tighter than, right. let's okay. say, a uh, Days of Future Past or um, even First Class. So, so in her pre-production, um, April two thousand seventeen, uh, principal photography starts July tenth of two thousand seventeen. And ends in September of 2017. So we're done shooting in September of 17. The studio, its first plane release was May of 2018. Okay, Are you with yep. me? Yes. Do you know why it was moved the first time? I believe it was another comic book movie. Yeah, it was because Fox was trying to keep it away from the X Men franchise, which is the A listers, right? And that was Dark Phoenix. It was actually Deadpool 2. Oh, Deadpool 2. Okay. Yes. Yes. So then they pushed it to February. So then they just pushed it to February of 19. So there, I think, is your first clue 
that they might not have a whole lot of faith in this because they're moving it to February of 19. So you're going from a summer film and then you're like, wait a minute, this is more of like an early year release, which is usually like a dumping ground. But they say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to move it to August of 2019 because of Dark Phoenix. Okay, so they, that's so, where it came in. So they think Dark Phoenix is better than this movie. So we're going to move it because of Dark Phoenix, which I don't know. We'll get to that later. Um, and then in March of 19, Disney acquires Fox. Um, so they push it to April 3rd of 2000. Rumor has it that uh, Disney executives hate the cut of the film that they saw. And then there's kind of that internet rumor that this movie's never going to come out. They're going to shelve it. They might just throw it on the streaming service or whatever. But in March 12th, well, I'm sorry, March 7th, um, the director says, hey, movie's done. I've got it complete. March 12th, five days later, they remove it from the list of films coming out. So it's no longer released. Um, And then a little bit longer, it leaks that it's going to be released on Amazon, like at some point in time. And then, then they announced that, Hey, no, it's coming out at the end of August 28th of 2020. So here we are and quick turnaround on the release because it comes out on home video, November 17th of 2020. So um, how how much did it make? when it was actually released in a theatrical run. So you said $60 million initial budget goes up to 80 through the course of the years. Uh, Domestically, it pulls in about almost $24 million and then internationally pulls in about $22 million. Now, the thing about this movie is it's one of the only films that kind of is released this year late in theaters. So it runs for a long time. Um, You could actually see this in... 52 theaters no 10 theaters this week if you really wanted to okay um, so you know it's playing it actually in the week of december 11th and the 13th the, that weekend you could see it in 234 theaters so you know it's it's actually playing around the united states on some theaters that are open just because they don't have anything else to show so new mutants is kind of out there um so it, it doesn't make its budget back of $80 million. It, it's about half of that. Um, they marketed this movie for almost three years too. So I'm assuming that the marketing budget is probably another, I mean, 80s conservative. It's probably another 100 to 120. So we're looking at $200 million movie. Now, when Disney acquires Fox, they're taking this on as a liability. They don't care. You know, they're just, this is a part of the acquisition. So it's a sunk cost at that point in time. You know, they don't care. You know, whatever they get out back from this movie is fine, but they just want the rights. So they don't care what this movie does because they've already bought in. Whatever it brings back is just money in their pocket. So you could say they don't really care what <clears throat> box office wise this makes because, you know, later on down the road, they're going to do their own thing and, and make it what they want. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit more in detail. The, the interesting thing about this film, like you said, it goes from 2017 is really when they're filming it yep. all the way to a release in 2020. The interesting thing about that is this was a highly publicized film of what was going on behind the scenes the whole time. So let's talk pre-production. So through, throughout the entire development and pre-production, the script that our writers, um, which actually is, is Josh Boone and Natalie and Josh Boone is the director as well. 
they approach Fox and they present a X-Men script, New Mutants, correct? And it's a full horror film. And that's what Boone and Lee wanted to make. Fox looks at that and says, nah, we're, we're not into this full horror thing. Tell you what, you can take this new mutants since we own the rights to this team and these characters and let's do a, do a compromised version. So instead of a full horror movie, let's make one without excessive blood and scares. And John, to your point, the whole new mutants are teenagers that are coming into their powers and, and they graduate to the X-Men, right? So Fox says, we'll make it a little bit scary, but let's concentrate on the young adult stuff. Yeah. So that is what the film started out in pre-production. Now you talked about filming. It filmed from July to September. Yep. Boone goes on record in interviews uh, during the filming of it and says, hey, that shoot was really stressful. So they already had a compromise going into it where they were toning down the horror elements. But he comes back and says, I still felt neutered during the production of it because th nobody wanted to do the full horror ideas, right? And the Fox chairman at that time and CEO, Stacey Snyder's coming out and saying, hey, look, we're doing this PG-13 haunted house with hormonal teenagers. And the pitch all the way during pre-production and filming is we're making The Breakfast Club meets The Shining, but it's for young adults. So that's what they're going in to make this film at, right? So that's the pre-production and the filming. So filming's done in September. Do you remember what movie came out in October of 2017? That was huge. It. It, right? So Boone delivers a cut of the film in post-production, and everybody is actually happy with it. They do an initial test, and the trades and some of the people that are associated with it say, hey, it tested as well as the first Deadpool. So everybody was kind of happy with what Boone and everybody delivered after the initial production. But it comes out, and so what they do is they create a trailer in October for the new mutants, but the trailer is focused on all the scary elements, and it's basically selling the straight-up horror portion of it. Do you remember seeing that, Troy, when we saw I do. it? Yeah, yeah. I, I loved the trailer. I was yeah. so excited for the film. Yeah when we saw it. And so guess who also got excited once they saw the trailer, 20th century Fox. And so they go back and go, wait a second. Everybody's talking about this trailer and the horror elements. And you know what? We were wrong. You need to go back and shoot the script that you originally pitched and bring up the scares. So 20th century Fox in post-production. Now, now mind you, like you said, film is done in October and so they come back and they say, man, that trailer's a big success. So we want you to go and film your original vision, right? So they start doing these reshoots and planning and budgeting all of that. Well, the Disney acquisition is looming, right? So that's coming around the corner. So reshoots were expected to begin by the end of September, 2018. And we're mostly focused on making the film more frightening and do Boone's original script because of that trailer. Now Boone explains in a lot of interviews that all of the work halted the minute that the Disney acquisition talks started, not when they finished, but when it actually started. So at that point, all of the money that was going into these Fox properties, they, they put a halt on, right? Because they're getting ready to sell the company. 
and no reshoots ever took place for the film and even the standard pickup reshoots. So stuff that they would do just kind of fix continuity errors, ADR, stuff like that. None of that, none of the editing, none of the special effects, none of it's done. Right. So basically his, his two and a half month shoot is it. That's it. That, yeah, that's it. Which, then, is, which is rare. I mean, yeah. Cause even you go back in ADR stuff or do a lot of post-production just because, you know, like you said, something gets screwed up. Hey, we got to reshoot this. You yes. Know? And actors, when they sign on for, for pictures to do, do the pictures, they, uh, you know, they, they know that, Hey, reshoots are a part of this. It's already built into their contract. So. Yeah. So not, not, and none of that's going to happen at this yeah. point until that acquisition goes through. Now, like you said, there's rumors and stuff. Disney people didn't like the cut that they saw when they picked it up. They did apparently like what Boone was originally going to do. Again, depending on what source you go to, yeah. the story's all mixed. But at the end of the day, Disney was ready to pony up money for the reshoots as soon as the acquisition was finished. Well, Boone comes back and says, hey, the cast aged too much. <laughs> so we, it's been a couple of years, all these reshoots and all these things we're going to do. And there are actual rumors that if they actually went through the reshoots, they would have reshot half of the film. Because again, they're going back to the horror element versus the young adult element. And that's when you know your, your information is correct. On March 7th of this year, Boone comes out and says, hey, the film's done. But the film is completed with just the footage that was originally shot with the compromised vision that him and Fox agreed to. And again, they retweaked it based on Disney standards. So even the cut that apparently tested so well with everybody who saw it and said, hey, it, it tested as well as the first Deadpool. That's not the version we ended up with. So this one has a very troubled history simply because you have a writer and director who walk into a studio, studio says, hey, we don't like that. But what I find so interesting is the studio comes back after a trailer and says, wow, everybody's going nuts over this horror element with these mutants. You should really go back and make that film. And they're going to they're going to give him the money. They're going to go do it all again. And he's going to end up shooting his whole thing, except the Disney acquisition comes wrong and derails that whole thing. Yeah. Remember, remember when Deadpool wasn't going to come out and they leaked that highway scene with the truck flipping over and him inside of it and all that stuff. And it yeah. blew up. And then suddenly like, Oh, Deadpool's coming out in two months. And it was like, Oh, you know, they, I, someone from the studio or someone working on that movie had to, control leak that and, and make it happen. But to me, it's like that's Deadpool was now, you know, that was the biggest R rated film of all time when it yeah. came out. Um, you know, it's just weird. I don't know, man, when the studios like get in the way and they approve something and then they walk it back and then they're, Oh no, we were wrong. So now, now fix it. It's like, no, it's, it's done. You can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it goes back to what we were talking about the best of or the worst of of this year. I mean, if you think about it, our favorite films of this year, it's a miracle that they're made because you've got a studio involved. You have a creative talent that's either behind the camera or doing the screenplay. You have all of these factors and forces going into it. And, and at the end of the day, all big budget movies from the studio are not bombs. It, it's just about maybe half of them make it, half of them don't. And the ones that don't, I really think it comes down to can you maneuver around all the machinations that happen and all the red tape, <laughs> all the red tape in order to get your film out 
onto the screen and it actually be of quality. This is one that probably had the bumpiest ride of the last three or four years, you know, from production or even pre-production all the way to the screen. It's kind of amazing that we got like a somewhat cohesive movie. Absolutely. It is like, it's not a garbage fire. Now we'll get into it later, but you can kind of follow this movie from point A to point B. Um, So it's, it's weird that it, it's cohesive at all. It is. And, and at the end of the day, and we'll talk about this, just keep in mind when they started shooting, Fox came to them and said, we don't like your horror themed elements. They can be in there. You can be creepy and spooky, but at the end of the day, we want a mutant version of the breakfast club. That's what they were going for. So that's what they ended up shooting. Um, Now, are any of you familiar with director Josh, Josh Boone at all? And I only saw that his one movie where was the fault in the stars was kind of his big thing. Right. right? Yeah. Right? That's yeah. I've never seen it, John. Yeah. You never seen it. And I know he did stuck in, he's done a couple of films. So stuck in love fault in our stars, which are mushy, dramatic, romantic, <laughs> just stuff. Not my wheelhouse. He, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, nobody gets kicked in the face, I'm sure, and stuck in love or fault in our stars. So, but I know he's behind the stand, the mini series, the new mini series, right? Isn't that his? Big yes, thing and now? that was part yeah. of the reason why it was difficult for him to come back and even finish the new mutants because he was already working on the stand, mm-hmm. which I, I, has that even started? It, it, it has, I think, I don't know, probably not the best year to release the stand. Okay, I'm just well, or, or the most poignant well, year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and let's talk about the cast before we get into the thoughts of the film. So we've got Maisie Williams as Rain Sinclair. Now Harry Maisie Stark. is from Game, Game of Thrones. Thrones. Okay. Yes. Now just it's it's amazing because like Game of Thrones ended, and she's way older than this movie. It's crazy like to go back in time. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So to to keep things and and John help me out here. So Rain, her new mutant superhero name are mutant superheroes i can't ever figure that out it, it, well yes they have superpowers okay. some, some are superheroes some are super villains okay so <laughs> yeah. we can say superheroes okay so rain is wolfsbane correct correct all right so her mutant power is she turns into a dog a wolf <laughs> a wolf troy okay a wolf got it all right uh, yes. yeah uh anya taylor joy which i think a lot of people know her Recently from the Queen's Gambit, but also yep. from M. Night, Shyamalan Ding Dong's, um, what was it, Split in Glass? She was in that, right? Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, she was. Yeah, so she was, she was also probably The Witch as well. A lot of people know from The Witch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. The Witch. Yeah, that's a good film. Yeah. So uh, she is Ileana Rasputin, and her mutant name is Magic. With a K. With a K. With a K. Now, she's one of the ones that I am familiar with because she wasn't in the original comics, right, John? No, she was. Yeah, but no, she, she wasn't was. one. She wasn't the first new mutant. Or... Oh, no, she wasn't the first new mutant. I guess she came I... in later. Yeah. So, again, as a B-lister, her, her true first appearance in the comics uh, was Giant Size X-Men number one back in 1970. I forget. She's... And I think I, I know her because in the comics, she's Colossus's sister. Little sister, that is correct. Okay, so her mutant power 
is that she can channel Judd Nelson's character from the breakfast club and also <laughs> has a cool sword and teleportation powers, right? Yeah. She, soul, she has soul sword. Soul, soul sword. sword. Yeah. Yes. She can then, teleport. Yeah. Yep. And then you got Charlie Heston as Sam Guthrie and, and his super person name is Cannonball. He's, stra- he's from Stranger Things. From Stranger Things. That's, that's his <laughs> big claim to fame. And his power is that he goes really, really fast and crashes into things. Yeah, uh, if I remember right, like a nuclear powered propulsion makes him kind of invulnerable and all that good stuff. Okay, so he's invulnerable, but he's always got a busted up arm, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just, yeah. Okay. Then Blue Hunt. So I think she is a newcomer. She's Danny Moonstar, and I think you said her name was Mirage. That that's her mutant name, right? Yes. Yes. And her mutant power is she creates ang- angry bears. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit later, but yeah, she can create things with her minds, but they're supposed to be illusions. So, so she does more than bears. Well, yeah. it's based on your fears, right? Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Henry Zaga, Roberto da Costa, Sunspot, right? Yep. And I know what everybody's thinking when you see this film, his mutant power is he's sort of like the Walmart version of Johnny Storm. Or he's a Johnny Storm wannabe, right? Yeah. So he doesn't say flame one. Yeah. Right. But he's not as cool as Johnny Storm. Yeah, he doesn't fly. He doesn't fly. He just he just burns up, right? Yeah. And you can push him in a swimming pool. And can he we cools down. I think there's like are there really like ninety-seven mutants that can turn into fire? There's a pyro, you know, yeah, there's Johnny all. Storm. Yeah, there's all yeah. sorts of them. Yeah, there's all. Yeah, but Johnny Storm's the best. Let's you know. He's, yeah. He's the apex, yeah, right? Sure. And yeah. then lastly, so you, you mentioned it, Brad, in terms of other X-Men films, this is a bit of a smaller budget, but it also has a smaller cast, smaller setting. And you've got Alice Braga as Dr. Ray's. Now she doesn't have a super villain name or does she, John? Is she important in the comic series? She, she didn't. <laughs> no. Okay. No, she's, she's just, she's a new, she's a newcomer. Okay. But she actually has a mutant power too. And she makes bubbles. Yes. They're called force fields, Troy. Yeah. Okay. bubbly force fields okay got it so bubble tees yes we've got um a dog there's literally only like eight people in this cast yeah there's not Uh, i mean and even the flashbacks are where you get more people in it but in in terms of our new mutants we have a dog we have judd nelson um we have um a, a cannonball guy we have the lady who makes the angry bears and we have the the walmart version of johnny storm and I guess the villain, one of the villains, ends up being the the evil scientist who who makes force field bubbles. Yeah. So that's our cast. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sums okay. it up. So we've talked about the production, talked about the cast, the director. Now, Brad, we're ready. There's only been like three superhero films come out this year. Is that right? So it was Birds of Prey in the beginning. Yeah. The New Mutants, and then Wonder Woman. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, this so there's is only like, three. Yeah, so it's so it's a light year for superhero films, which probably the biggest genre out there. So Brad, this this was your pick. Let's let's start with you. What are your initial thoughts on the New Mutants? So, I think I was sold a, a bill of goods on this movie because I I always wanted it to lean into the horror elements. This movie is not scary at all. Um, now it. I I applaud it for trying to do some really adult themes, um, suicide, 
um, sexuality, especially as, as like even like with um, finding yourself maybe being a lesbian, um, uh, self mutilation with uh, cannonball, like all these things are like heavy subject matters um, in a PG thirteen movie. But ultimately, I found this movie to be extremely boring. Um, it was a slog for me to even like make it 90 minutes. Their only <laughs> action in this movie is the last 20 minutes and they fight a dog that looks like a goddamn screensaver from 1995. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. good God, that thing looked cheap. It was like Yogi Bear. Um, <laughs> well, she does call it Yogi at yeah, one point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a little subtle racism with Native Americans, uh, you know, but uh, I, you know, if I had seen this movie and let it marinate a little bit more, it would probably be on my worst of list of 2020. Um, it's so boring. Like I almost just fell asleep and took a nap. Like I had to like stand up and watch this movie. It was just, nothing happens. It's like, we're going to watch people through cameras. We're going to have some teen angst, but not really, uh, you know, it's very, we're all going to hate each other at first, or there's going to be a bully. Um, and then at the end of the movie, we're all going to come together and be a team. And guess what? That's exactly what happens. So uh, yeah. But again, I applaud this movie for at least, I know the plot of this movie. I don't like it. And I think it's boring, but at least it, it from start to finish, it, it kind of goes along. It's, you know, it makes it, but sure. I don't like any of it. Okay, John, comic book. So, John, you're coming to the table, though, probably a little bit more versed in the mythology of these characters. Brad and I have no idea who these people are outside <laughs> yeah. of I, I'm familiar with one of them. <laughs> but what's your thought on this? Now, you, you've seen this a couple of times now, right? Yeah, I, I, I suffered myself to, to watch through <laughs> it to try and... I, like Bryce, said, I, I, there is a plot, there is a story. It, it's very poorly done. Um, you know, circling back the, the trailer. Okay, so going back to that trailer, when I saw it in the theaters, uh, sitting next to my daughter, and like I said, she's this is where she's really taken off horror. The version of that movie that was playing on the big screen in that trailer, that's the movie that I was super stoked about because every other X-Men movie out there is just pure garbage. I'm sorry. Um, my daughter was excited um, when I first got the movie and watched it. Um, my daughter said, you got to tell me how it is. And as soon as, she, as soon as I got done watching it, she comes walking in. How was it? I just shook my head. I'm like, no, not worth it. it, it it's not bad. I mean, it's a great story from the New Mutants run, volume one, issues 18. Is it, is it <laughs> yeah. a great story? It actually is in the comics. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, issues 18 um, through 20. Um, That's the demon bear, right? That is the demon bear. Okay. But just seeing some of the creative freedoms they took with some of the stuff, it, it was just kind of like really, really, really hard to swallow. I mean, Sam no, Guthrie Cannonball. When uh, you say creative freedoms, you're talking about their treatment of the characters in comparison to the comic book interpretation of it, right? Their interpretation, their treatment of the characters in trying to develop their story, which was so just bad. I mean, if it's supposed to be teenage angst and these are teenagers, youngers, uh, young, younglings who, who are trying to uh, develop their mutant powers and stuff. I mean, in the comics, Rain 
it's supposed to be 13 years old. Okay. Um, so, you know, I understand why they threw the lesbian stuff in there. To me, it didn't add to the story. It didn't take away from it, but it was just one of those pointless things that I'm like, okay, I just sat through 10 minutes of this. What, what is this, what is this really about? Um, magic, I think is the bright spot to it, to the whole, to the whole story. But again, taking some creative freedoms, um, they take a whole bunch of great story elements that led up to the current incarnation of magic you see on the screen in this movie that took a lot of pain um, for her to, to get there. Um, now, is this Mr. Smiley Diddler, is that a part of her backstory or is that something they made up for this movie? It's something they made up for the movie. Okay. I, I mean, like, so in the comics, she's supposed to be, she, she can teleport through time and space. And I think they mentioned, I think she mentions it in the movie, it's a place called Limbo. And it, yeah. it, it's within Limbo that she's able to, you know, determine that she's actually a sorceress as well. But we don't. Is, is Lockheed like a thing as well? Like the puppet? Yeah, that's that kind of drove me nuts. So Lockheed in the comics is actually an alien, alien dragon. And for those who follow the X-Men, uh, Lockheed is actually more uh, a familiar for Kitty Pride. Okay. Eventually comes over and you know is is taken in by magic, but the way they got could jump through portals too, right? She could phase, and interestingly enough, uh, even though when she Kitty Pryde could phase, um, magic soul sword still cut her. So that's just another geek nerd trivia for mutant stuff. Okay. Um, But yeah, I mean, so Sunspot again. Yeah, I mean he he's supposed to be you know come from a. Uh, well-to-do family but again in in i guess this is one of those things that kind of drove me crazy too he's supposed to be you know from columbia but you know they casted you know their, their choice of casting um he's afro brazilian right in the yeah, comic yeah yeah uh, and his power he doesn't flame on he turns into a sun spot hence his name he's just just solar solar energy sucking figure that turns into like you know inky blackness and he goes from there. So, again, th- there was, like I mentioned with Wonder Woman, a lot of potential, even with what they had and the, and everything they could have done. But God, it was it was so wasted because, again, um, as as Brad pointed out, it was boring. It really, I mean, I think I saw two flies die. I was watching them for a little while. <laughs> Um, yeah it was they just they just flew around and just dropped dead that's how that was more entertaining it it was it was it was oof it was painful jeez you guys really don't like this film it's not so much that i didn't like it i i I think it's it's a it's an okay movie nothing happens Um, yeah it's an okay movie if you're stuck on a train and your phone is uh only able to download one movie then yeah go ahead and watch it but it, it's not it, it, it's not a fantasy island. It's not it's not a grudge. It's not that bad. It's just uh, Brad said it. We we were sold a bill of goods, and what we got was yeah, no. Yeah. I of nothing. <laughs> I, I have a question. So just hearing you guys talk, you know way more about X Men, mutant that side of it. I mean, I'm a Hulk, Captain America, Daredevil guy. Never got into the X Men side of things. That that whole thing, I don't want to say it bored me. I just I never, it never clicked with me. Wolverine every once in a while, but I mean at the end of the day, even 
I grew up on the defenders. I love the defenders. And and when it changed over into X factor, I wasn't as thrilled about it. It was okay, but I, I could just never get into the mutant side of the mythos and everything that they, you know, that Marvel created. And that's fine. Everybody raised about the X-Men. Was it nineties cartoon? Yes. That was out there. Um, yeah. I, I, I might've watched a couple of them and was like, ironically eh. enough, guess who, guess who the writer was on a majority of those X-Men animated series? No clue. Chris Claremont. Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, that, that would make sense. I mean, they're going to bring the guy who probably is the expert on the topic. Yeah. So, but I do have a question for you guys. I mean, you, you thoroughly know all of this X-Men stuff. What's, what's your take on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the Angel series? First, never, ever, ever, ever. If you have a bad movie, reference something that is way better than what you're making. Because if you put in Buffy in something that sucks, I'm just going to be like, oh, I just want to watch Buffy. Cause, so yeah. you're a Buffy the Vampire fan? Yeah, I think up until like season six and then it's no good. But yeah, I, I think that's a great show. Angel and again, as well. There's some, there's um I didn't really watch Angel as much, but it's funny because like Buffy has like some lesbian stuff in it, and like this movie does too. It's like very like leaning on some of the references in Buffy, but yeah, Angel yeah, about, not so much. What about you, Jim? I only like Nathan Fillion episodes in Buffy, didn't watch Angel. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, yeah. Yeah, so I we talked about Mandalorian in season two, and Mandalorian season two for me is on par with season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I think is one of the best series of all time, and I love Angel. And to your point, Brad, when Buffy shows up, and it shows up in the TV in the rec room a couple of times, it made me want to go back and watch episodes of it, but then it clicked, and... I don't know if this film is as much a homage or reference to all of the the mutant mythology in Marvel as much as this thing just feels like an extended Buffy episode. Because even the Smiley Men characters are, I think, in reference to, in terms of look and style, a Buffy episode called Hush, where you get these creatures who are stealing, you know, the the voices of everybody within that episode. So I actually kind of enjoyed the new mutants. And I think the reason why I enjoyed it is I don't have any of this X-Men. I mean, even when I watch the X-Men movies, I don't think they're garbage, but I never really get excited about them. They're just, they're just okay. Nothing ever. Now, Logan, the Wolverine film and uh, all, all the Wolverine ones, except for the first one, I kind of enjoy, but I, I get their Western motifs and everything that they're doing in that. But the X-Men films in general, I, I don't think they're good or bad. I'm just kind of indifferent to them. And I probably would have enjoyed this film more if it wasn't called The New Mutants, but it was called something else. Or it was just, you know, maybe a tightened version of a Buffy the Vampire episode or an what Angel you, episode. What did you like about this movie? Nothing um, happens. So right out of the gate, there's two performances I, I like quite a bit. The first one I think you talked about was uh, Anya. Uh, Anya? Taylor Joy as magic. Yeah. I think, I think she's fantastic. I, I joke about her channeling Judd Nelson from the breakfast club, but that's exactly what she's bringing to the table. And she brings a bit more of a camp style to it. I, I think she's a standout. I mean, she's really channeling that whole John Bender thing and it works and she pulls it off and you, you don't like her in the beginning, but you come to understand 
through her visions and what she went through, why she is the way she is. And then even when the action kind of kicks in at the end and you see her powers and everything else, I think the way they positioned her with her sword and her teleporting and her going to the, you know, the world and blue eyes and everything else. And even Lockheed, again, I know nothing about Lockheed or Kitty Pride or all that other stuff, but I thought that was a great payoff that this little stuff puppet that she's always talking to ends up being this familiar or sidekick to her towards the end of the film. And I, I just like her performance. The other one that it really sold me was Charlie Heaton um, as Sam. I, I think he pulled off the whole guilt and remorse section really well. And I loved his sequence of his little nightmare of being in the coal mines and you're, he's going down this row and there's people yeah, where it turns into my bloody Valentine for me. Yeah, literally, That's exactly what it reminded <laughs> me of. It, it was like, Oh, this is kind of like my bloody Valentine where you've got all these guys with the pickaxe, you know, chopping at the wall. And then they stop, turn and look at him as he's going down it. And his dad's at the end of it and the, the wall's bleeding. And then it just ends with this, this big explosion. I, um, I just, I don't know, man, I, I come, I'm, I'm from, I'm from Kentucky and you know, we're not all coal miners. It just Oh, I know. But I, I think for that character, he sold it. Yeah. And I love the sequence. He only has, I guess, one sequence where he sort of goes into action as Cannonball. And that's when he just goes down this hallway and takes out all these guys. And there's just limbs and body parts everywhere. And I thought that was pretty cool. I wanted more of that. So I, I figured that's a sign that, hey, I, I like that character. I like this performance because I wanted to see more, <laughs> see him do more of that cool stuff. And everybody else is, I, I think, like you said, it's fine. It's competent. I don't think any of the performances are horrible. The the doctor, um, it, she's okay, but does it, it's very one note. I think everybody else is one note, but I think you've got Anya and Charlie who add a little bit more depth with the little that are are given to them, and I like the look of them as as these superheroes. Rain and Danny's relationship. I, I kind of like where it was going up to the beginning, but I think you said it, John. There's this love interest that develops between both of them, and I'm fine with it. It it doesn't hurt the film, but I don't know what it adds or sort of ups the stakes in anything because when you get to the end of the film, the, the biggest problem this film has is I it just doesn't have a great villain, doesn't have a great antagonist. Well, that yeah, and, and everything you mentioned about being the Breakfast Club. I mean, I I think one of the biggest things it suffers is it 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 didn't try to build its own identity of this is what our movie is going to be. It, it relied so heavily on everything else that, as you said, John Bender, all, all those characters just they're they're there on the screen, but it's a much more boring film. Well, they even steal the scene of like the all the kids like walking down the hallway like, and the dancing yeah yeah, yeah. and it's like it, it oh was, we're gonna go to john bender's locker to get his weed yeah. like, they <laughs> yeah. literally do yeah. that scene sure yeah. Yeah. yeah they they do and and i think it's interesting because when when i'm thinking about this film and i think about the breakfast club the the breakfast club is a really unique film in that it's a it really is a teenage drama comedy and you've got all of these characters and these stereotypes that come into a room and you notice all of the stereotypes, but there's so much depth and it's because of the writing and the performances, right? Yeah. But the other thing that really sells it is you've got an antagonist in, in two things going on in The Breakfast Club. You've got these four stereotypes coming together and just that environment in and of itself is kind of the villain of that film, right? They're stuck in a room and- Five stereotypes, right? Or five, five yeah. yeah. They, they've got to come to a conclusion where they sort of have to work together, understand each other. So you've got that 
I don't know what you would call it. You, you've, you've really got that obstacle that they have to get through. And then the other thing is you've got, um, gosh, Richard Vernon is his name, right? Oh yes. Is the character. So that's Paul Gleason. So yes. <laughs> and, and Paul Gleason is, is the antagonist <laughs> of the breakfast club. But even the wet, what he brings to the table, it's memorable. And there's a little bit of depth to it. And you've got these two environments where they have to learn to get together and understand each other and, and really bring themselves together. And then you've got Vernon, who's just got it in for all of them, and they have to beat him to some extent, right? That's all this movie is. So to your point, John, it is The Breakfast Club, but it's just a scarier version of The Breakfast Club. Now, where it falls is that The Breakfast Club had a just fantastic script. All the performances were spot on. And your antagonist was really good. It, it was written well, and Paul Gleason's fantastic in it. Yeah, Dr. Reyes is a huge wet blanket. Yeah, she yeah. she is. She's she's no she's, Vernon. Well, and then you are you know at the beginning of this movie that she she's bad. Is a bad guy. Yeah. Like, I, and I hate when films try to like, no, she's trying to help him. Like, no, we already know how this goes. We have too many superheroes in this building. One of them has to be a villain. It's got to be Dr. Reyes. Like, it's yeah. got to be. Stop, stop pretending. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Anya and Charlie are great. And if the rest of the cast had maybe elevated to what I think their level could have been, you'd at least got that side of the Breakfast Club right. But the problem is... The script sucks, man. Like, you can't... I don't think the actors are at fault here. I think the script no, is... No, I, I agree. The, the yeah. script is a bit lame. Well, it is lame. I mean, yes. it, it just... <laughs> It's the problem like Wonder Woman. You you get to something that again, you get this wish concept, right? And in and in the new mutants, you get this, okay, you gotta come to your fears. Well, in Wonder Woman and in this film, you get a very anticlimactic finale. I mean, it just there there's nothing happens. She pets the bear at the end, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, we're it's a screensaver, please. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> the, the screensaver. <laughs> But there, between those performances, and you ask the other thing I like, there the horror elements. There were a couple of them that I did like. I like Sam's little um, coal miner thing that goes on. I love Iliana's happy face uh, in that whole sequence because it reminds me of the gentleman from that episode of Buffy, and and that's where it's drawing from. I think they even show it in the background at one point. Yeah, yeah, they allude to that episode. And, I got and it was like a slender man kind of thing too. Yeah, and and I it's a great look. It it's creepy. Uh Roberto's swimming pool scene, I kind of liked it up to the point with the hand coming out, but then as soon as you see the CGI of that burn victim, you're like, "Ooh, the more light you put on that thing, it doesn't look so cool." Yeah. But some of the stuff leading up to it, again, it's about 50-50 hit or miss. And when it does hit, I think it I think it works very well. But I, I'm not sitting here championing like, hey, this is one of the best mutant X films, creepiest. I mean, it wants to be The Shining and it wants to be The Breakfast Club. It doesn't do either of those very well at all. Man, it's Sometimes I hate it when films are like, okay, we're going to try to do this and this. It's like, okay, we're going to try to make a basketball player and we wanted to be Michael Jordan and LeBron James. <laughs> you're like, ah, come on, like, let's... You're you're setting the ball really high, and if you miss, everyone's just gonna say, "Yeah, you 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 didn't even get close. Like it's not even close. No, not even close. Yeah, I, I, I disagree. I, I it's ninety minutes. Half of it I think works really well. The other half, it's okay. 
No, no, no. <laughs> Brad hits it. I mean, it's like, I mean, if this was like a, a, a high jump contest, as soon as he, they took off, they, they tripped over themselves and fr- ran flat on their faces. I mean, again, the, the Demon Bear saga was just, it's a great storyline. You didn't have to do it, you know, word for word or shot for shot, but you had a lot of great source material. Um, I think they said Bob Sikowitz, uh, the artist on that, on that run. Um, he was there as one of their advisors. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Oh, am I correct? Is the demon bear actually her parents, Mirage's parents at one point in time? And then you get to eat an extra, you get to eat an extra Christmas cookie. You are correct. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that would have been cool. Like, yeah, that twist, like, Oh no, it was her father the whole time or something, but no, the bear just disappears. You're yeah. like, uh, yeah. okay. Again, that's that's Fox saying we don't want the horror elements. I mean, I would have loved if things didn't pan out the way he did with the acquisition and he got his money to go back and reshoot the original screenplay that he pitched with the horror elements. I think it would have been a very, it, it would have lived up to the trailer that they showed us when you know they were tagging it back, what was it, 2017, when they showed it. Yeah. And if you watch the deleted scenes, a, a great example is... Danny, when she gets in solitary confinement, has a vision and it's it's the raining blood, et cetera. There's a deleted scene with an alternate version of that that is much creepier and it's better than what ended up in the final film. So you can definitely see that they had different plans for where this film was going and it was going to be more heavily influenced by the horror elements. This is extremely influenced by The Breakfast Club, more so than the creepiness but it's there the creepiness is there and like i said it it is to me the equivalent of an okay buffy the vampire slayer episode and i'll tell you hands down i had way more enjoyment out of this 90 minute okay film than i did with two and a half hours of wonder woman 84. yeah yeah you must have ate a bad batch of popcorn or something i don't know what you're so (laughs) i like what you're saying like you would have loved to see what happened. I would have loved to see what happened because like the trilogy that they had planned was like, okay, the next movie is like an alien invasion movie yeah. with Warlock and Karma, which Warlock is an awesome character. Yes. And then they would have done the Inferno stuff where basically there is like demons from Limbo yeah. come and like, it's just apocalypse on the earth basically. So it, they were going for something. I just hate that they couldn't get off the runway to even get there. I don't know, man. It's just well, a bummer it, that you know we don't get to see Warlock, we don't get to see Karma. Yeah, but yeah. at the at the end of the day, I want to see more of Ileana and Sam. Those two characters, I think, are fantastic. I think they're great in this film. And if at the end of the film I go, "Wow, I'd really like to see more of those two, I, I, I hope the others step it up. Then I would say, "Well, the movie was successful in terms of the performances, and then what those two sequences. And by sequences, I mean the the scenes that influenced those characters. I enjoyed everything that had to do with Sam and Ileana. I, I, I those were my favorite parts of the film. Well, you know, I think the guy characters were. I think the I think the females kind of stole the show for me. If you want to know, the truth. yeah, I, I think I think they were they they had a vision or, or an idea of how they were to take their characters, and and they ran away with it. Um, the the males i it just it was just so it was it's just rough to watch um again cannonball you're supposed to be invulnerable when you're using your powers but all of a sudden you got you know you, you look like you know you got your butt whooped on the on the playground i mean come on <clears throat> sunspot again totally 
totally different background story that just I, I think would have worked better if they just kept one element out of the comics in regards to his character, which is that in the comics, he is he he is a team player. He wants to succeed. He wants everyone to succeed. In in, in the movie, he's just like, you know, he's just he's just a hole. And it just it just wasn't convincing enough, though. I, I don't disagree with Roberto. And so, I, again, I think everybody else is pretty one note. I think the puppy dog, whatever her name is, Rain, I'm not totally convinced outside of she acts in human form like a puppy dog falling around Danny all the time. So there, there's not much depth to it. However, and I, I have to ask you guys this. So when, when, you, when you walk into a film knowing that it's based on another property that you're close to or you know about or you know the depth to, are you at a disadvantage from enjoying it right out of the gate? No. If you know the source material? No. So yeah. you, you don't think having read the comics, collecting the action figures, watching the X-Men TV shows, having think it that has kind to of base knowledge. I think it has to sell you a little bit more, but like I've liked a lot of the X-Men movies quite a bit. I don't like Dark Phoenix and I don't like Last Stand, but all the rest of them I've enjoyed quite a bit. But it, um, but if it veers from the from the narrative, if it doesn't end the way the comics did, if they make a different character choice no, of somebody who was yeah, good or it's bad. It's a different medium for me. I always okay. separate yeah. mediums. You know, video games are another thing too. Like, hey, you know, you do whatever you want in this medium. I always have the comics. I always have the cartoon. I always have the movies. Like, it's just yeah. That that to me, they never and never the play the two shall cross. Like they always stay separate. Yeah, I, I and I'm, I'm I'm the same way. I mean, I, I do have a you know penchant to you know because I have all this this core stuff I rely on. I, you know, I I guess you could say I expect a little bit better. But um, with Fox, <clears throat> the great characters, the great stories, the great source material they have. I, again, I, I circle back to uh, Mandalorian. I, the end of season two, it kind of shows when you go back to the roots the core of what made star wars star wars and i don't want to give away spoilers but you know the big reveal at the end you know at the end of that episode and the reaction the near universal reaction to that proves that you know if you you don't have to do it word for word but if you stick to the core concept the core the core uh synergistic item the person the people the storyline and you, you you deliver for the fans the fans are going to react the way that you were hoping them to and with the new mutants this movie i, I again I, I see where they go but it, it was such a snooze fest the characters uh okay i get what they did what they did but some of it just to me didn't make a lot of sense to your point troy rain yeah, she does follow a lot of a lot of people around uh, like a puppy. And, and again, going back to the comics, and to her credit, she brought that to life. Um, Rain used to follow Sam Guthrie around all the time because he always acted like the big brother to her. And that again, I think with a better actress, nothing. I mean, I'm sure she's great in Game of Thrones. I haven't watched she's all amazing. of Game of Thrones. She's amazing. Game I, she didn't really sell me on anything outside of just an average one note person that is following everybody else around the big brother, big sister, love interest relationship. There, there's nothing there. It, yeah. There's no I, chemistry. I mean, even the reveal where, Oh, not only does she transform into a wolf, she's actually a werewolf. 
but to it looked like she was you know trying to scratch a bad itch she couldn't get to she's, but, a, were- wait, she's a werewolf yeah were puppy huh yeah okay yeah Sorry. um i mean just just her rendition of oh this is how a werewolf does she scratchy. have narts scratchy <laughs> scratch that is another underappreciated movie monster squad Wolf. oh yeah <laughs> no i get that i I'm, i'll be the first to say you put anything with um daredevil captain Mar- so the the ones that i like i'm always going to come at it with a little bit more scrutiny daredevil for me is is one of my favorites haven't really liked anything outside of the netflix series but even when i watched the netflix series there were problems that i had with it simply because i've read the comics growing up so i already know i have preconceived notions of what i'm gonna like what i'm not gonna like but this is a great example where i wonder how many of the criticisms that get levied against this if it were just hey this is some scary film about these kids who have these powers and if you had a different name for it if you had different characters and they weren't tied to another property would it be a better enjoy you would probably still come back and go well it was a bit of a snooze fest it didn't do anything yeah but because it's part of this franchise it it gets levied a little bit more criticism exactly like you got it's not fair like so it's this when you have these this intellectual property that you're starting with like you're not starting at step one you're sure. already kind of getting a skip ahead so you should be able to kind of use that you use that to your advantage and make something at least entertaining you know when you don't do anything with that advantage then you're just like okay not only did you falter at the beginning but you made something that was literally nothing happens and i'm gonna hold that against you even more because you had a head start yeah, you had a head start. yeah. because they again they had great potential to develop a new series i mean let's face it um brad mentioned the dark phoenix the days of future past movie x-men apocalypse i mean really those were the x-men movies that you know were the most recent but they were just to me they were just they were just utter failures um, this new mutants again being sold what i saw in that trailer had the huge potential to really spawn off something completely different that again if fox wanted to bring more people back into the movies 20th century fox wanted to bring more people back into the movie theaters and watch their movies and throw money at them they should have spent a little bit more time and been a little bit more flexible right at the start to see what was possible because right now i think i think it's all dead Right. Oh, yeah. Th- this series. I mean, even Disney all has come out and said yeah. that one of the reasons why they thought about not releasing is they were just going to reboot the entire property since they own the rights to it now. Yeah. But, but go ahead. I have to say, I have to say, like, I have always liked superhero films that move into other genres. Yeah. My favorite, my favorite Marvel movie is Captain America The Winter Soldier. It's a political thriller, just yes. happens to have superheroes. Guardians of the Galaxy is like a space opera, but happens to have superhero. You know, like these movies that we are superhero movies, but we are going to go into this genre, this genre. This could have been the one where they go, no, we're going to make a horror movie, but we have superheroes. How does that work? Exactly. Been like interesting to see at least. Exactly. But, and and what I mean, better- I get it. The studio said, nah, son. And then they said, wait a minute. It made a lot of money. Let's try that. And you're just like, well, you're going to have to spend more money because we're going to have to fix some things. Yeah. yeah. And again, they made a cohesive movie, which I think is a miracle because this movie could have been. It could have been the Fantastic Four. Was it the Josh Trank? Yeah, film? Josh Trank, which yeah. is it, uh, not only bet, boring, a, but 
that's a horrible a garbage fire. Yeah, that is. That I, is. I think I think my friend who, who I was just I mentioned earlier in the show, I, I think he summed it up best. How can you make one movie that was worse than the first two combined? <laughs> I can't go there. Yeah. I, I love the Fantastic Four. That I, Silver Surfer I, movie is pretty bad too. I <laughs> say it again, Brad. That one too. Oh my god. <laughs> um, no, I, I get it. I just I, this is one of those things where. I know going into this film, I enjoyed it more, but I think I enjoyed it more because I never read any of the new mutants uh, outside of the newer ones. And, you know, I got to say the Marvel comics that I'm reading now, they annoy me because I think there's more social agenda to the storylines than their actual storylines anymore. Yeah. And, and Marvel has come out and said, Hey, as a property of Disney, they're doing that, which is fine. But I, I don't know. I, again, I have a huge, huge love for all things Buffy and Angel. And I feel like this fits into that wheelhouse more than it does a superhero film. And if it had just taken out any of the reference, the Marvel, the mutants, all that other stuff, I think more people would have given it a pass and just said, yeah, it's sort of a mediocre young adult horror thriller kind of thing, Breakfast Club ripoff. But me not having any of that background, that's how I treat it. And, and I did find enjoyment in it. But I'll also say, and I don't know how you guys feel, if I'm walking into something, and again, not, not to bring Wonder Woman up because I'm on that tirade of late, but when you go into a two and a half hour film, I really think it ups the ante in terms of you've got to get me involved because that's two and a half hours, right? So you, you've got to keep me entertained and you got to keep me caring for that long of a period. At 90 minutes, that's almost my favorite film because you can tell a story. It, it's, it's, and Brad, it's more than the 77. What, what's your rule? It's under 82, 77? 82, I think. Okay, whatever it is. But <laughs> 90 minutes feels like that sweet spot. And the thing that I really liked about this is it was a smaller scale. It didn't, it didn't go for the big thing, you know, like the other X-Men films. It was at 90 minutes. It was there, gone. And like you said, Brad, it, it was a cohesive narrative. Yeah, they could have used like 20 more minutes. Like there could have been more character development and stuff. I just I, felt like these characters. Exactly, I don't know. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. The new mutants, you know, if you've read the comics, for, you know, as long as I have, you know, you, you fall in love with the characters. <clears throat> Seeing their portrayals, you, you, you don't get that emotional investment. You know, I hate circling back to Mandalorian, but again, if you examine why that was so successful it's again story characters characters that you eventually become emotionally invested in it, it all delivers whereas new mutants again borrows so heavily that the target audience that i think they were trying to go for you know it were adults is bored those the, that target audience they're going to get up and walk out Sorry. i don't disagree but i here's here's where i do disagree i don't need an extra 20 minutes give me a 90 minute film start stop trying to make a trilogy Give me a 90 minute film. If you love these characters so much, then give me a good script and give me good performances that are going to give me all those things that I'm going to love about that character within 90 minutes. And it happens. It, it happens a lot. And when you get the right writer, the right director, they can do it. I don't need two and a half. You can't sit there and tell me that an extra 20 or 30 minutes is going to make a movie like this better. No, you can still take 90 minutes. You could have a better script. You could keep keep our two in there, Sam and Ileana, replace the others, maybe get a new doctor, do something else. You, you've got elements here that if you just rework it, it, it would be a, a fantastic movie. 
Well, they keep and alluding to Mr. Sinister in this movie, and it's like one of these things is like they should have just maybe done that. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I, I, I don't disagree. I think some of the best ones like Winter Soldier. I love Winter Soldier. Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy, if you never saw another Marvel film, but you just saw that one on its own, it's fantastic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I think makes that movie so good. New Mutants, it does allude to all these other different things, and you feel like you had to read the comics or see the other X-Men movies to maybe get the most out of it. That's where I think it has a misstep. Also, like they're on basically one location the whole time in this place where actually where they shot Shutter Island as well. But uh, again, you're just like alluding to better movies. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but uh, and they still like eighty million dollars just doesn't seem like it goes very far with these superhero movies, you know, because you got all these effects and you got all you know all this stuff. They had what eight characters in this movie, and it still didn't seem like eighty million dollars was enough. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't, eight I don't characters, know where the movie was. Uh, like or sets. I think the bulk of it went to the screensaver that you were talking. Yeah, about. I mean that dog was like, or bear. I'm sorry, whatever. It was. No, it was a dog. It looked like it, a dog. <laughs> it started off as a dog and ended up being a bear. So anyway, uh, no, I, I don't, I don't disagree with a lot of the points that you have outside of the fact that I think there was enough for me to enjoy it. And again, maybe full disclosure, I saw this in the theater. And Cameron and I walked out and we're like, wow, we heard so many horrible things. That that was actually pretty good. Didn't didn't love it. Wasn't going to go out there and tell everybody to run out and see it. But we enjoyed it. And then watching it again a second time after seeing Wonder Woman, it, it was kind of like, okay, well, I understand why, again, I like this even over Wonder Woman, simply because Wonder Woman does have a couple of elements that I did enjoy. But that's not enough for a two and a half hour film. For 90 minutes, you, you get a little bit of a pass in my book just simply because you shaved an hour off well, from something I'm not else. disagreeing with you that a 90-minute superhero movie can't work. I just kind of – the only backstory you get with these characters is through their fears and stuff like that. And even then, it's just like these quick illusions. So, I don't know. I, I just yeah. – Yeah. I, I mean – I mean, I don't need people... to see Star-Lord's mom die. Like, I don't need to see that. But, yeah. you know, I, I do, do need something. Yeah. And what better way to, 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 to have a bunch of teens come together and fully realize their potential than to defeat some evil creature in a horror movie. But even then, you know, seeing the screensaver on. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry if all these teens were locked up this close together, they're trying to put their fingers inside of each other. I mean, come on. Oh my God. They wouldn't be trying. They wouldn't be trying. They would have been doing like, my God, like, yeah. These are the least horny teens I've ever seen in my entire life. It is yeah. insane. Uh, yeah. Again, young adult, PG-13. I mean, they say, like, I was actually kind of surprised at the stuff they said in this movie. Like, there's a lot yeah, what, for a PG-13 movie. Yeah. Like, we I know, should I, confession booth? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would go back. So one, one of its source materials is The Breakfast Club, right? I mean, that's exactly what it's trying to be. And you would all agree that The Breakfast Club, in terms of character development, um, story arc, the whole nine yards, it's, it's damn near perfect in terms of getting to know the backstory of those characters and everything that it delivers. Plus, it gives you a great antagonist in terms of Vernon. You get this fantastic resolution. There's this whole emotional journey. Well, guess how long The Breakfast Club is? 97 minutes. So it can be done and you can get all of the depth that you want out of characters that have this type of mythos behind them in the comic books, et cetera. 
You just need a better script, you need a better director. This was a swing and a miss in comparison to The Breakfast Club, but I still think it's good entertainment. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. It is boring. I, again, I'll say it. It's boring. But it's not the worst thing that you can see. I, I would watch this 10 times more than I would watch The Grudge that came out in this year. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sorry. It's just the way I would watch this 100 times more than I would watch Mulan live action again. Just... I'm not rushing yeah. to watch this movie every... I mean, it's just... Yeah, I mean, sure I'll have to watch it again at some point in time, but it's just extremely boring. Yeah, it's going to sit on the shelf for quite a while. But again, it's just it's just a lot of wasted potential. Damn it, Troy, you're right. It is 97 minutes. I was hoping you were wrong. No, no, I was not fact checking. Okay. No, no, I just again, we we've we come to different opinions on this particular <laughs> film. Obviously, I'm in the minority, but I I would like more Buffy and Angel fans to check it out and. Tell me what their opinion is, because if they come back and say, yeah, it felt like maybe a bloated, fatter, buffy episode. Yeah. To me, that's how I take it. That's where I'm I'm drawing it from, like what its inspiration was. To me, they just took a blender, put Breakfast Club, The Shining and a bunch of Buffy, the Vampire Slayer episodes in there and blended it. I mean, that's all they did. I don't really think they borrowed anything from like superhero genre at all in this thing. And all three of those properties are exponentially better than what's in this don't movie. don't disagree okay. at all they're classics man all right well time for the question i mean i'm i'm pretty sure everybody's gonna know where everybody lands so john our guest our comic book expert our new mutant expert what are your thoughts on 2020s the new mutants by and let me get the director here because i already forgot josh boone josh, boone. josh boone. is the new mutants a bomb yes it is unfortunately um a great intellectual property that they could have had so much to do with um, just, I, I guess, circumstances um, just would not allow a, a, a truly great mutant film to come out. I know I, I wish they had more time, maybe a little bit more money. More time. They had three years. <laughs> well, yeah. They had enough time. Yeah. Well, that, that was the point too, because you guys mentioned the reshoot, and I was like, well, maybe they could have done reshoots, and you know, as with all things, you know, actors age out, you know, and they just couldn't do reshoots, and you know, with their limited budget, there's only so much CGI they could have done. But yeah, it was a bomb, um, in my opinion. It was it was boring. It, it's not, it's not the worst, but it's definitely not one of those. Hey, you gotta. This is the movie. If you couldn't find any of your favorites out on the blockbuster wall, and it was sitting on the other shelf, you'd go pick that one up and watch it. That almost sounds like a recommendation. <laughs> okay. All right, Brad. This was your pick. I know. It is an absolute bomb, Joy. An um, absolute bomb. Yes, yes. I, I hate boring movies, probably more than I hate bad movies. Because at least, I don't know. I agree the, with you. Boring the boring movie is just like, it, it washed over me. And I almost completely forgot that I watched this movie as soon as it was done. So it's like not even really that memorable. Um, I will tell you, caveat, if they ever released a different cut of this movie to where it was like that original cut they show the executives that really loved it or whatever, I'd watch it just maybe out of curiosity. But, you know, oh, yeah. they recut this movie or something. I'd watch it again. Um, it's I don't know interesting it was- you say that because I, I think the original cut probably wouldn't have as many because remember when they first went into this, it was they wanted a young adult film, but at least a they little like, bit of horror had a singular vision at that point in time. Yes. And and this one is like, 
trying to grab things that really aren't there. Like this movie is not scary at all. Like there's no horror in this movie, really. You have some stuff that slender men with smiley faces and that's about as scary as you get. So um, it is a bomb. You know, again, we got a movie and that might be an accomplishment within itself. Josh Boone might be the greatest director of all time because he was able to pull something together um, and release a movie. So congratulations to him, but it sucks. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be on the, uh, on the descent here. I, now, when I say it's not a bomb, I'm not telling people rush right out and check out the new mutants again. I don't necessarily disagree with some of your critiques in terms of performances for some. Uh, it's it's not a horror film. It has creepy elements to it. I think it has some of the creepy elements that Buffy or Angel carried over, but even Buffy and Angel had some scary stuff going on. When you see the gentleman in Hush, that is just a fantastic She's episode. She's a vampire slayer. Yeah, and this is <laughs> Hush Light in that regard. But, you know, I got to say, I, I did enjoy it. I watched it twice. I'll watch it again. But I would not put this on a huge list of recommendations. And if we're talking about films in 2020 that came out, this wouldn't make top 10, top 20. It it would just be right in the middle of the road. I don't really find it boring. I think there's enough things in this that interest me. I do find some of the scenes kind of creepy. I, I like two of the performances a lot. And I would really, if they reboot this thing and they end up recasting it, man, I would still love to see, you know, these two characters come through. And, you know, I got to tell you, Anya Taylor-Joy, I, I think she's a heck of an actress. We're going to see her in the new, the new uh, Mad Max movie, the prequel, the Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, I, I'm sold. Anything that she's going to be in, I, I think she's a fantastic. And she's one of those that she has such a long runway that I can't wait to see her kind of stretch her acting chops because I think even when you go back and watch Split or Glass and even that same character or the Queen's Gambit, everything she's- Witch. Yeah, Witch, she's so good. And I think she's she's the standout thing of this film. So for that alone, if, if, you're, if you're a big fan of her, check out The New Mutants. But I'm, I'm gonna say it's not a bomb, but it, it barely squeaks by. So sorry guys. We, we just we got to disagree right no yeah. that's okay i mean have we had a three-person bomb before i don't think so i don't think we've had a three-person unanimous bomb yeah. it's usually somebody who dissents one there's usually a troy in the group it's usually a troy who just doesn't want to play nice <laughs> he doesn't like wonder woman but yeah. gets a pass he doesn't Same. like wonder woman but he loves ben affleck's daredevil okay uh, uh, you know what i <laughs> I don't like it's Ben Affleck's Daredevil. It's better than New it, Mutants. Won't, it is better than dis- New I Mutants. Disagree. It's better than Wonder Woman 84. So <laughs> I'd rather watch, I might rather watch Electra to, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> now you're talking crazy. Um, yeah. That one's terrible. It's terrible, but it's not as boring as this movie. Ah, uh, challenge. Um, okay. All right. So we're done with 2020 man oh thank the lord we're going into the next year so we get into an even episode so i think in january we're actually going back and we're doing some listener picks right listen request month yeah so a few emails ago we had nick write in and brad helped me out here he was talking about a film that he was writing to the criterion company on a regular basis to try and get this released right 
Yeah, he wanted a Criterion Collection, you know, spy number 487, The Beast of War. The Beast um, of War, or also known as The Beast, and Beast. it was directed by Kevin Reynolds. So when, I, and I can't remember if it was Miami Connection or something. Miami that, Connection. You was ended it up that episode? actually okay. having the movie in your pile. I did, and it was something that I picked up in one of the discount bins for like five bucks, and it's been sitting in the to-watch pile. So I we immediately as soon as we got that email and read about the film and saw who directed it and heard all of these other people go wow that that is actually a really good film that immediately shot to the top of our list so we are kicking off 2021 with a listener recommendation from nick thank you very much nick and we're going to talk about the beast also known as the beast of war from 1988 directed by kevin reynolds so it it's it's a war film it, it'll be interesting. It's something that you and I never heard of before, correct? Yeah, I never heard of this movie. Outside um, of a blind buy and... Yeah, except if you're a Walmart bargain bin purchase. Yes. But I'm excited to, to see this because if Nick is writing to the Criterion folks and demanding that this thing get a special release, you know it's got to be good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they told him to stop. I love it. <laughs> John, have you ever seen this film? I don't believe I have. Okay, well, you got to play along and watch it. So, Brad, if anybody wants to send a recommendation like Nick or tell us what they think about The New Mutants or tell us what their favorite films of 2020 have been or even what they consider the biggest bombs of 2020, how do they get a hold of us? That is notabombpod at gmail.com or you can go to our website and hit the Contact Us button. Um, That'll take you right to a little form you can fill out to send us an email. Um, Twitter, notabombpod. Facebook, just go Facebook slash not a bomb, I think is the URL for so. that. Yep. Um, Instagram, not a bomb podcast. I think that's it. Um, we didn't post a lot on social media this week because it was took vacation. The week off. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but we got an episode out, so that's good. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. If you like our stuff, man, just share it with people, pass it along. Um, you know, Troy and I are really bad at looking at download numbers and stuff. And, I, I literally look at it four or five times a day. So, uh, Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, if you can, if you can, uh, you know, keep my, my numbers going up, I'll, I'll appreciate it. So Brad will be happy. Yeah. yeah. Hey, we're just, we're happy you listen. We're happy you participate. And again, we're getting into next year. We've got a list of films. It's always moving. We are adding things. We're dropping things, but I'll tell you what, anything that comes in from a listener, we're going to definitely include on the list and get to, I think in January, we're actually going to knock out a bunch of listener requests that we received uh, really from about August on. So there's some good ones in there. There are some that are a little questionable, but you know what? We love you guys and we're going to dive right in and go watch them. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll let you know what January is going to bring, but not really a theme outside of what? Just kind of checking off the listener requests that have come through pretty much, right? Yep. 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 I'm about to watch a series. Oh yeah. And uh, John, that, that, that request came from somebody, you know, that yeah. we may pick up in January. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, listen, uh, John, mm-hmm. I cannot thank you enough. I mean, new mutants, you've act- just hearing you talk about it and hearing you and Brad go through a little bit of the history of the characters. I actually want to go back and, and maybe download some of the digital comics and read the demon bear series, but I can't thank you enough for just lending your, your knowledge to us, man. You, you dropped your knowledge big time this episode. Oh man. It's always, it's always fun to be on with you guys and, and talk about these movies and, 
it's just been such a blast. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's fun. I mean, we'd be, if we weren't doing this, we'd still be probably on zoom talking about new mutants comics and oh, debating yeah. whether or not this movie's a bomb <laughs> or not. So John, the last two movies we've had you on, I believe is this one in solar baby. So the next one you come on, hopefully it won't be as bad. Nah. <laughs> No we really do like we like you dude like it's we love not, you john trying to like we just love your expertise I was, though i was on for remo williams i loved it yeah I, like <laughs> i said we'll have you on for a good movie at some point of the time. <laughs> oh, oh, oh wow bazinga yeah. got, right. got it got <laughs> it <laughs> well listen folks i don't know if you're listening in the morning the afternoon or evening but i hope you're having an awesome day thank you for downloading and listening and uh, hey, we'll see you next year. Such <laughs> a dad joke. <laughs> I'm serious. An awesome dad joke. Oh my god! Happy right. New Year, everyone. See you guys.